Hey, Dad, the squirrel's on the bird feeder again. Did that go on tape? Oh well. Let's hope our little friend can keep quiet. Let's get started with the next chapter. Aurora of the Yukon, Chapter 7. The Golden Stairs to Happy Camp. Hot beans at the top of the Chilkoot are the best lunch in the world. My Diary, Happy Camp on the Chilkoot Trail, July 30th, 1898. The clouds were really hanging low over Sheep Camp the next morning. Really low. It was like the sky had been lowered. Sheep Camp was almost like a little town. It had restaurants and hotels and even a tramway that they had built from Sheep Camp right to the top of the Chukut Pass. It even had two streets, and there were hundreds of people. I even thought I saw blackball for a minute. Using the tramway would have been nice, but we had hardly any money left. In fact, the night before while I was asleep, Red McGraw had asked my mom for more money to carry our packs. I guess packers did this a lot. They would agree to one price in Dai, then once you were desperate, they would ask for more. A few weeks in Alaska had made my mom tougher. You could see it when she talked to people like Red McGraw. Even though Mamal's English was bad, she was able to explain to Red that we didn't have much more money and that she wouldn't give him any more. When we woke, we found out that maybe she shouldn't have told him that. Eve was the first to figure it out. When he woke up, he jumped out of bed and ran over to the tree where Red and Skookum were. Where's Red? he asked. Skookum woke up and looked around. His face had a oh no, not again look on it. It turned out that Red had disappeared. When it started to rain and he found out we didn't have any more money, he snuck back to Dai. At least you didn't take the pack, I said. No, just the food, replied Skookum. I think we all wanted to cry at that point, maybe even Skookum. But Mama was very brave. She said we would keep going to Uncle Thibault's no matter what. Mama grabbed the packs. We had to redo Tina's three piles, since we only had one packer left. Skookum agreed to carry a heavier pack. Louise did too. Louise knew all about dog packs and tied some clever knots so that we could fit a bit more onto D'Artagnan. I agreed to carry some of the food, but still, we had to leave a lot of things behind, like spare clothes. We hiked out of sheep camp. We had five miles to go to get to the summit of the Chilkoot. After that, it starts going down out of the mountains onto the other side. Mama made us sing French-Canadian songs to keep us happy. I taught Louise how to sing Savez-vous Ponte des Choux and Alouette. There were lots of blueberries along the way, millions of them. We would stop every 20 minutes and eat as many blueberries as we could. Mama called us her little bear cubs. But pretty soon, we were getting tired again. It was the steepest part of the trail yet. We were also going above the tree line. That's where you are so high in the mountains that trees can't grow. It also meant you could see for miles. You could see the valley we had walked up from Dai. The Pacific Ocean was now so far away you couldn't see it. There were too many mountains in the way. It was now getting very rocky. Sometimes you had to jump from rock to rock. Once I fell and got a nasty cut. It really, really hurt. Mama was quite upset, but Louise knew just what to do. She went to a fir tree, popped a little bubble of sap under its bark, and rubbed it into my cut. Clean. Heals fast, she said. You're a brave girl, just like a Klingit girl. This made me feel good. The last part was unbelievably steep. There was no trail, just rocks the size of a horse that had been broken off the mountain. This was the famous place where there had been thousands of people lined up to get over the Chilkoot the year before. Finally, we got to the top. We looked back and could see forever. Even better, we could see for miles into the Yukon. We won't have to go uphill anymore, I told Eve. For once, even he seemed happy that there wasn't anything more to climb. 
We were admiring the view when a sudden gust of wind hit us. It can be very windy in the mountains. I wasn't ready for it, and it almost blew me over. Then it started to rain. There were even a few icy snowflakes falling. Actually, they weren't really falling. It was so windy, the rain and snow seemed to be going sideways. Allons-y, said Maman. That means, let's go, I said to Skookum. We kept going. Even though it was July, there was deep snow everywhere. It was even more slippery with rain and sleet on top. In some places, it is barely melted before it starts to snow again. In other places, the snow never melts. Skookum told us to stay on the parts of the snow with footsteps. We also had to be careful because it was late in the afternoon. This meant the snow was soft from the sun, especially near the edges where the rocks get warm and melt underneath the snow. We could see big patches of snow that were melted underneath by the rocks. If you walked on something like that, it could collapse underneath you and you could fall onto very sharp rocks. It's better to cross the Chuku in the morning when the snow is still frozen hard from the cold nights. When we finally got to the summit, we saw a tent with a big British flag. A sign said, Northwest Mounted Police. There were a few policemen standing by the tent. In their red coats, they looked more like British soldiers than police. They had rifles and even had a scary-looking machine gun set up. Another policeman in a red uniform came out and squinted into the howling wind. Skugum seemed to know him and called him Constable. The policeman smiled and replied with a few words in Klingit, which seemed to please Skookum and Louise. We were very surprised to hear the constable speak French to us. He was English, but his French wasn't too bad. I guess he grew up on a farm near Montreal. He was very proper to us. He was the kind of man who was polite to everybody. Maman was so happy to speak French to an adult. We heard you were coming, madame, said the constable. We're so glad you and the kids made it. Thank you. It's been much harder than we thought. This is like the Coureur de Bois, 100 years ago. I had no idea trails like this still existed. Well, we'll put you up in one of our tents, and I can escort you back to Skagway tomorrow. Maman got that look in her eye again. I'd been seeing it more often the longer we were in Alaska. Monsieur, you misunderstand me. We intend to continue to the Yukon. I don't care how rough the trail is. If Louise can do it, then so can I. But you don't have 2,000 pounds of supplies to get you through the winter. We all looked at Skookum's pack. It was all we had left. Maman stood there in the wind, shouting as loud as she could to tell him how we were robbed in Skagway and had to get to Uncle Thibault's. He looked at us in amazement. You were there when Frank Reed shot Soapy Smith? Well, where are my manners? Come into our tent and have a cup of tea. As we entered the tent, I heard one of the policemen complain to the constable about having Indians in the tent. Louise looked terribly embarrassed. Lots of people in the north are mean to native people just because they are native people. It is really terrible. But the constable said something sharp to the other policeman and gave him an order because the policeman suddenly stood straight up and ran off to chop some more wood for us. The constable said something friendly to Skookum and Louise in Klingit and repeated his invitation for all of us to sit around the fire in his tent. There was a little metal stove, which Eve, Louise, and I got as close to as we could. You could actually see the steam coming off D'Artagnan's coat. The constable saw us inching closer to the stove and laughed. I bet you kids could use a bowl of beans, he said. We always keep a pot of beans on the stove for emergencies just like this. He gave us each a steaming bowl, plus some bannock to put on top. He also opened up his own box and offered us some Worcester sauce. English people really like Worcester sauce for some reason, but that was the first time we had seen it. Eve said it smelled like rotten socks, so we didn't have any. Then we had a cup of tea. It wasn't very strong, but it was nice and hot, and he put in a big spoonful of sugar and a lot of canned milk. I think that that was the best lunch I'd ever had. When you live in the city, you don't realize how good hot beans and tea are. When you are high in the mountains and have been walking and climbing in the rain all day, there is really nothing better. We sat there listening to the adults talk in a variety of French, English, and Klingit. More policemen came in to hear about the gunfight, which everyone treated like big news. I remember what Joe Boyle had said about not letting my adventure go to my head. Even I looked at the pictures hanging from the tent pole. There was a big picture of Queen Victoria and a photograph of the constable with another tall man with a big mustache. The constable saw us and laughed again. 
You can thank Queen Victoria for the beans, kids, but at Superintendent Sam Steele, you'll have to thank for the canned milk. In fact, I just used his last can. Who is Superintendent Sam Steele? asked Eve, stuttering over the sounds. He didn't know the word superintendent and thought it was a name. Is he a musketeer? The constable and the other policemen in the room burst out laughing. For some reason, they seemed to think it was the best joke ever told on the Chilkoot Trail. Well, don't ever tell the superintendent this, kids, but he is kind of a hero to me, too. You know why there are no Soapy Smiths in the Yukon? It's because of Sam Steele. If you steal, cheat, or rob, he has one of us arrest you right away. Then he makes you chop wood at the detachment for a few weeks and sends you back across the border to Skagway. It's called a blue ticket. Skookum tum tum, said Skookum. This means he's just not strong, but also brave and determined. When our tea was finished, the constable turned to Mama and spoke in French again. Madame, Superintendent Steele probably won't like this, but you can come into Canada. You'll be safer with your uncle than you will be in Skagway, that's for sure. We've had all kinds of Soby Smith's gang members trying to get into Canada. We've turned most of them back. Who knows what might happen next in Skagway? The constable walked with us for the first 30 minutes into Canada. He told us stories about the Yukon and told us about the next part of the trip to Bennett. Then he stopped, waved good luck to us, and turned back. We were walking a few minutes later along the trail when D'Artagnan barked. I suddenly noticed a shadow on a rock above us. Bear! I shouted nervously. But we looked up and saw it was a person. In fact, it was Black Ball. I recognized his laugh just as his arm swung toward us. He was throwing something. Mr. Cicero was right beside him. The snowball was coming right at me, but I quickly ducked. It just missed my ear as I ducked, but I heard Eve cry out as it hit him in the face. It was a nasty snowball with ice inside, and Eve was bleeding from the cheek. I dropped my pack to chase Blackball, but my mom grabbed my arm. I looked up to see Blackball cup his hands around his mouth. Dirty frogs, he shouted. Frogs is a mean word the English call us French people. He is a terrible boy. I know him, said Louise. But we should help your brother. I looked up and watched Blackball run away. I was very angry. Not jumping up and down and screaming, but quietly. Kind of like Frank Reed. Eve was crying, but he was okay. He might have a black eye, but nothing worse than a cut. This time, Skookum stopped Louise and sent me instead to find a fir tree and some sap. You are not a Tachaco anymore, he said.